Well, good morning and welcome to TBA. How are y'all this morning? That's good. That's good. My name is Dave Shive and I am one of the pastors here at TBA and it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. How many of you are excited about the Super Bowl next week? That many. <laughs> well, how many of you are at least excited about the commercials? Yeah, cool. How many of you are planning to attend or going to host the Super Bowl party this uh, next week? Am I going to do that? Okay, just a few of you. Do you realize that the Super Bowl, is it just because the Patriots are in it and nobody really want to watch them? Is that what it is? Because the cheaters made it to the Super Bowl? I don't Okay, anyways. Do you realize that the Super Bowl is the biggest event of the year in America? Last year's Super Bowl was the most watched TV program in the history of all TV. Over 100 million people tuned in to watch the Super Bowl last year. I read an article in the news this week that was very interesting. It talked about ticket prices for the Super Bowl. Do you realize the very first Super Bowl, which was in 1967, was the Green Bay Packers against the Kansas City Chiefs? A ticket to get into that game only cost $12. $12 to get into the game. Now, if you add inflation to that, that's about $85 today, which is not that bad. A 30-second commercial costs $42,000 for that Super Bowl. Now, do you wanna, if you want to go to the Super Bowl next week, you want to guess what a ticket costs to get into the Super Bowl next week? You want to guess? The average, here's the average, the average ticket price for the Super Bowl is $4,000. Crazy, isn't it? $4,000. It's $10,000 if you want to sit anywhere near the 50-yard line. And if you want a luxury box, it's $750,000 for a luxury box. A 30-second commercial this year will cost $4 million. $4 million for a 30-second commercial. Here's the one that really got me. A 20-ounce drink at the Super Bowl this year will cost you $14. $14, $2 more than the original ticket price of the first Super Bowl. The Super Bowl will generate about $1.7 billion in advertising revenue. Now, if you try to calculate the total revenue for the Super Bowl, including money that's spent on travel, hotels, food, parties, um, all of that stuff, parties that people have all across America, Americans will spend almost $12 billion. $12 billion on one game. Think about that. $12 billion on one game. Now, I'm not preaching against the Super Bowl because we spend our money on even more frivolous things. So it's not that I'm against the Super Bowl. I love the Super Bowl. I think it's a great event. But what I think it does is it shows us how much excess we have in America. Because we have so much excess that we can spend $12 billion on one single football game. See, we are the wealthiest people who have ever walked this earth. Think about that for a minute. We are the wealthiest people who have ever lived on this planet. Now, you may not think you're rich, but the truth is, compared to the rest of the world, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. Top 1%. If you make $35,000 a year, 
If you make $35,000 a year or more, you are in the top 0.08%. What that means is that 99.2% of the world has less than you do. Think about that for a minute. Compare that to our sister church in Honduras. See, the average family in Honduras makes less than $2,000 annually. Okay? 2000 for the whole year. So the offering that we took up for those instruments, think about that. Like if they get, they're going to want to get a keyboard, a keyboard there costs $2,000. So it would take one person in their congregation their whole year's salary to buy that one keyboard. Okay? And that's assuming they didn't spend it on foolish things like food and clothes and housing. And the reason I tell you all these things is because we're continuing in our series called Masquerade, and today we're going to be talking about financial fakers. In order for you to understand where I'm coming from, we have to truly take the blinders off, and we have to really see how much we've truly been given and how rich we really, really are. See, because I think it's easy for us to be blinded by the excess that we have here in America. And we forget. See, we forget how much we've been given. And we forget that God gave it to us. And we forget that we have a responsibility to do something with it besides spend it on ourselves. So we're going to get into our main passage today. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 7. Here's what it says. Proverbs 13, 7. Some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Now we're going to look at both sides of this verse today, but before we get into it, let me say this. Because I know that when we start to talk about money in church, a whole lot of defenses start to go up with people. People start to tune out. They start to shut down. Some people leave the auditorium. Um, and we hear things that people say. People go, well, all, the church is just all about money. All the church wants is my money. Well, let me say a couple things about that. First of all, if you know anything about us as TBA, if you know who we are, if you take the time to know our vision and understand what God has planned for this church, you will know that we are anything, we are anything but about all money. We're not about all money. We're actually about helping the community and a world who lives in darkness and despair find the amazing good news of Jesus Christ. We're about being the tangible hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of the people that are around us. We're about glorifying God's name to a culture that needs him desperately. Yes, it takes money to run a church. It takes money to pay for electricity and a mortgage and other bills. And you would be surprised by what it costs to do just what we do here on Sunday mornings. Our average electric bill is anywhere from three to $4,000 a month. So yes, it takes money to do that, to, to fund ministries. It takes money. But we are definitely not all about money. That's not what we're about. And second, we don't want or need your money. Not in that begrudging kind of way. See, if you feel so opposed to giving to a church or giving to this vision, then don't do it. Don't do it. Because, see, God is our provider, not you. He has and he always has been the one to provide for our financial needs. And so we trust in him in those things. And we especially trust him when it comes to finances. 
And to this day, God has never, ever let us down. He's always been faithful. But I will ask you to do this. I'll ask you to do this. Don't tune me out today. Don't shut down today. Come with an open heart and drop that mask just for a little bit and see what God has to say to you. Because I believe that God has something very, very important to say to all of us. See, you're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear it if you close your heart off to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. So keep an open heart. All right, so let's look at the verse, uh, the, ver- the first part of that verse. Some who are poor pretend to be rich. This is our first financial faker. And see, I know a lot of people today who do this. They pretend to afford a lifestyle that their income cannot sustain. And they're wearing a mask that is only concerned with the outward appearance. So as a financial faker who does that, I buy things to feel important. I get that new iPhone or that new iPad or that new gadget. I buy the really expensive car or truck. I get a boat or other toys. I buy designer clothes and I'm always in the latest fashion. See, I go out to eat all the time and I go on extravagant vacations I really can't afford. And so I'm accumulating all of these material things. But the truth is, is I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm financially struggling. But see, I'm not going to let anybody know. I'm not going to let you know that I am, because I look altogether, materialistically, I look put together on the outside. But the truth is, I'm financially fake. And see, some of us even do it with our kids. We buy our kids the latest Xbox or PlayStation. We give them iPhones and iPads. We make sure they have the best designer clothes. We make sure to pay for every experience they want as far as sports or hobbies. But the truth is we can't afford all of those things. And so we put it on a credit card and we sink ourselves into serious debt just to make sure that our kids look the way that we think the world says they should look because we don't want them to be different or stick out. Listen, I'm guilty of it too. I am. I'm guilty of it too. When I was a kid, how many of you grew up in the 80s like me? Your 80s generation. See, in the 80s, man, clothes and shoes were a big thing. When I grew up, having an iPod, an iZod shirt, remember the iZod shirt with a little alligator? Having that, or having a, a Ralph Lauren polo, even better, having that, man, that meant you were somebody. That meant you were cool. And I remember as a kid, man, I bought into that lie at such an early age that I had to look a certain way and I had to have certain things in order to have value, to be significant and to be accepted. And see, I carried that lie with me into college. Now, as a kid, my family could not afford those things, so I went without. But yet always within me was this longing to be one of those kids that had those things. See, I wanted to be a star-bellied sneech. Anybody know that story from Dr. Seuss? If you don't know that story, go to YouTube. It's got the whole story on there. Go to YouTube and watch it. Star-bellied sneech is exactly what I'm talking about. Anyways, I couldn't afford those things as a kid. And, what, but, and so I went into college. But when you go into college, something really crazy happens. See, they give you this kid who has no income coming in, this kid who has this huge tuition bill to pay off, this kid who has no financial sense whatsoever, they give you a credit card. Not only do they give you one, but they give you lots of credit cards, as many as you want. And so I took my credit cards, and I went to the department store, and I bought all of the polos and IZODs I ever wanted. 
I bought it all until my cards were maxed out. See, we're a generation of play now and pay later. That's who we are. We, pay, we play now and we pay later. And that's what happened to me. See, I left college with a brand new degree in chemistry and over $25,000 in credit card debt. $25,000 in credit card debt. For what? For what? Just so I could have this false sense of security and acceptance and significance because I wore these cool clothes? I don't even have one shirt from when I was in college. All that $25,000, all those, they're gone. All those clothes are gone. The funny thing is, is I don't, I, I think not only do we wear this mask to fool other people, but I think we, we wear this mask because we're convinced that money buys us happiness. So we wear the mask to fool ourselves. See, what we really believe, believe is if we have enough of these materialistic things that we're really going to be happy, that we're really going to be significant, that we're really going to be secure. But see, those are lies that we buy into. And what we've done is we've exchanged material things for God's truth. We've exchanged it for God's truth. Look at what Paul says in chapter 1 of Romans. And I know he's talking about sinful humanity here, but it's still the same. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. See, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They put on their masks, and they started to worship and serve what money could buy. Created things rather than the Creator. So why do we do this? Why do we do that? And it's because money is the number one competitor for our hearts. It's the number one competitor for our hearts. It was Jesus who said, you cannot serve both God and what? Money. Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. He didn't say you can't serve both God and sex. He didn't say you can't serve both God and power. He didn't say you can't serve both God and yourself. He said you cannot serve both God and money. Because money lies to us. See, money promises only what God can provide. And when we believe the, the lie that money promises, we end up worshiping and serving created things rather than the Creator. We do. So what does money promise us? Well, I think money promises us three things, and you can write this in your notes. I think money pro promises us happiness. See, if we have enough money, then we're going to truly be happy. I think money promises significance. Well, if I've got enough money, well, then I'm somebody, right? I'm important if I've got a lot of money. And I think money promises security. If I've got enough money put away, well, then I'm secure and I don't have to worry about anything. And see, we all fall into this trap in one degree or another. We all do. Let me show you what I mean. Now, intellectually, I believe that most people would say that money doesn't buy happiness. From an intellectual, stamp, an intellectual standpoint, I would think most people say money doesn't buy happiness. So here's what I want to do. I want us to really be honest, and I want us to do an experiment. And I want to show you what I mean. So what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand if you really believe that money does not buy happiness. Intellectually, do you think money really doesn't buy happiness? Is that what you think? 
Okay, so most people raise their hand. Most people think that. Money really doesn't buy happiness. Okay, now, here's where you've got to really be honest. If I was to say to you that a little bit more money would make your life better, how many of you would agree? If I had just a little bit more, then life would be good. See what I mean? See, I feel that way all the time. Man, if I just had a little bit more money, just a little bit more, things would be great. Life would be easier. You see what I'm getting at? See, intellectually, we believe money and things don't buy happiness, but emotionally, we believe they do. We really do, because if I just had a little bit more, things would be good. What about significance? Are you significant because of what you have? You say, of course not. Intellectually, you believe that, I, that money does not buy significance, but emotionally, it's different. Just picture this. You're driving up someplace, let's say you're going to a very important meeting. You're driving up in your clunker, broken down, piece of junk car. It's got dents everywhere. You're pulling up to the parking lot. Everybody sees you coming in. Your car backfires and then goes and is dead. You get out, your door squeaks and you slam it shut. How does that make you feel? Not so good, right? Now, let's contrast that. You're pulling up in the car of your dreams, right? Red convertible, Corinthian leather seats, kicking sound system. You've got the top down and the wind's blowing in your hair if you got hair. Your your tunes are blaring. Every head turns when you pull in because that motor is purring. And everybody sees you when you pull in. You get out, shut that door. I'm cool. How's that make you feel? Much better, right? So you believe that because you think these outward things make you significant. But they really don't. It's a lie. What about security? We believe that if we have enough in the bank, if we have enough money in the bank, we're going to be secure. But ask those people who lost their entire retirement in the 2008 stock market crash how secure they feel right now. Because they have nothing. It's gone. They had it all in the bank. Like that. It's gone. See, you never will have enough put away. You will never have enough put away to feel secure. See, your money lies. It lies to us. It promises only what God can provide. See, money can't provide happiness. It can't. But Christ can. Money can't provide significance. But Christ can. Money cannot p- provide security. So you can have all the money in the world and then your kid gets hit by a car and dies. And you can't buy your way out of that. But only Christ can provide security. See, I know we call this message financial fakers, but the truth is we don't have a financial problem. We have a spiritual problem. See, we have a spiritual problem because we believe all that money buys is going to make us happy, is going to give us significance and keep us secure. But the truth is, we trust money for happiness because we don't know what we have in Jesus Christ. We don't know what we have in Him. We trust in money to make us significance because we don't know who we are in Jesus Christ. And we believe that money will make us secure because we trust in that money 
instead of trusting in Jesus Christ. See, we've exchanged the truth for a lie. And we're worshiping and serving created things rather than the Creator. Now, some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Dave, that's a little bit extreme. I, I, I'm not worshiping created things. Well, my question to you is, where is your heart? Where's your heart at? You see, God wants your whole heart, not just part of it. And Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And see, our actions reveal our heart. Our actions show us where our heart is. And the truth of it is, is our actions show that most of us are in debt. Most of us are in debt. And from Dave Ramsey, buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. Because we've bought into this lie. We've bought into this lie that having more will make us happy, significant, and secure. See, our actions reveal what we believe. Our actions reveal it. Our actions communicate that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we are worshiping and serving created things. We are. And that's where the second part of this verse comes in. See, the first part was some who are poor pretend to be rich, meaning we spend our money on earthly things hoping that it will fill the void we have inside of us, hoping that materialistic things will give us happiness, significance, and security. But here's the second part of this verse. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Because when it comes... When it comes to giving back to God, all of a sudden we pretend that we don't have anything. That we're poor and we have nothing to give. And here's where this message is going to get hard. Here's where it's going to get hard and the walls are going to start coming up. But you need to understand this. If this is hard for you, then you need to ask why is it hard. And don't just use the same excuses or pass the blame that that the church just wants your money. I told you at the beginning, we don't want your money. I simply want to help you see a roadblock that's in your life. I want you to see that there's an obstruction in the relationship between you and God. Because the truth is most of us have a spiritual problem when it comes to giving back to God. We do. We have a problem when it comes to giving back to God. So I want us just to be open. Let's be open. And let's be honest about it. And let's just drop the mask for a minute and see what God has to say. And listen, don't take it from me. Don't take it from me. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. He's the one you have to be obedient to, not me. Don't change anything or do anything just because I say so. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But I'm going to warn you, be very careful. Be very, very careful. Because if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and you tune him out or you ignore him and you don't do what he's asking you to do, that's a dangerous path for you to walk. So just be open and listen. Because here's the truth of it. Here's the truth of it. Most of you in this room don't give anything back to God. You don't give anything back to Him. And I don't know what your reasons are for that, but you don't. You don't give anything. For some of you, what you give is just an afterthought. It's whatever cash you have on hand or whatever change you have in your pocket. 
And honestly, it's insulting to God. It's insulting to Him. Because God doesn't want to be an afterthought. He wants to be your first thought. He wants to be first in everything in your life. And that includes your money. For some of you, you give. You do. You give. But it isn't in proportion to what your income is. Because God has blessed you to make a whole lot of money. But what you give back is insignificant compared to what you bring in. And you're holding your best back from God. And the truth is you're robbing him. You're robbing him because he's made you to make money. For some of you, and this is where I'm at, this is what God convicted me of this week. For some of you, you're tithing your 10 or 15%, whatever it is, and you're just checking off a box. And you're sitting back and you're saying, I've done my part. That's where God has really convicted me this week, to be honest with you, because I, that's what I do. Ashley and I, we tithe our whatever it is, 10, 12%. We tithe that, and honestly, it comes right about out of our bank account. I don't even write a check. It's an automatic withdrawal. So I just kind of sit back and check a box. I go, I'm done. I've done my part. But boom I'm finished. And see, when things like the, the, the offering that, that comes up, like I know when, when Brian talked about in his staff meeting about taking an offering to buy instruments for our sister church, my first thought was, well, I don't have to do that. I've checked my box. I give my portion to the church. I don't have to do that. Well, that's not right. That's not right. See, we miss out on the things the Holy Spirit speaks to us. I'm not even allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart about other giving opportunities, about things that present themselves, about giving sacrificially, about giving when it hurts. See, I don't, I don't allow the Holy Spirit to tell me those things. So when offerings like the Highland City House come up or, or, or the instrument thing or, or helping somebody in need or uh, giving to the food bank or helping a brother and sister in your small group who's hurting, I, you know, I'm just, I'm closed off to it. And that's not the way we're supposed to be. And don't tell me that you don't have money to give. Because that's not true. I don't believe that for a minute. Because see, we have money for McDonald's, Starbucks, cable, movies, cell phones, iPads, video games, jewelry, new cars, new trucks, boats, and various other earthly things that in the long run will not last, they will not last, and they don't mean anything to God's kingdom. We have money for that we don't have money to give back to God. We have it to give. We do. I told you at the beginning, you are the richest people who have ever walked this earth. Again, it's not a financial problem that we have. It's a spiritual one. And you and I need to understand. We need to understand that we are going to be accountable for what we have been given. We are going to have to stand before God and explain why we wasted why we wasted this immense wealth that he's given us. We've got to stand before him and give an account for it. So Dave, are you saying having these things, buying these things, going to Starbucks, all that's bad? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. See, I think God, I think God has blessed us and he wants us to enjoy his blessings. So there's nothing wrong with those things. But what I am saying is, let's put it into perspective. How does my spending stack up with my giving? 
Where are my real priorities in life? So, Dave, how much am I supposed to give back to God? Well, I can't answer that for you. See, that has to be between you and God. The New Testament says to give cheerfully, to give on a consistent basis, and to give proportionately to what your income is. That's what the New Testament says. See, when I started this message, I had every intention, I had every intention to come in and argue that even though the New Testament is almost silent on tithing, that we should do no less than what the Old Testament calls for. And I was going to urge everybody to tithe 10% and give reasons why you could afford it. Now, I still believe that to be true. We should do that. But that's not the real truth of God's Word. And that's not what God revealed to me this week. God really showed me something different, something radical that I've never seen before. You see, the Word of God is always more radical than just a percentage. Besides, I think we're asking the wrong question. We're asking the wrong question. See, God has put into our hands this amazing truth of who Jesus Christ is. God has put the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hands, in our responsibility. He said it is our responsibility to go out and spread that news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And the task that he has given us is so immense and it requires so much investment and so much commitment and so much money that the thought of settling the issue of what we give by a fixed percentage is simply out of the question. In my mind, it's out of the question. In a world where 10,000 people a day starve to death, 10,000 people a day starve to death, and many more perish not knowing who Jesus is, the question isn't what percentage should I give. The question should be, how much do I dare spend on myself? See, it's a biblical truth beyond all doubt that all the money that you have is God's. Psalms 24 once says as much. And that, mo- that money has been loaned to us by God. We've been entrusted as a steward to use what he has given us to grow his kingdom and glorify his name. And it's irrational of us to think that giving a percent of that money to the church settles the issue of good stewardship. In a world with such immense need, and in a country with such immense luxury, the issue of stewardship isn't, should I tithe? But how much of God's trust fund do I dare use for my own comfort? How much of God's trust fund do I dare use for my own comfort? See, Jesus wasn't about a rule or a regulation. He wasn't concerned with setting a checkbox that we could check off. See, Jesus is concerned about the condition of your heart. About the condition of your heart. And he knows how money affects it. He knows how money affects it. And as I studied this week, I found out that Jesus' way is very radical. It's a radical way of looking at it. See, Jesus is all or nothing. He's all or nothing. He's all in. And tithing a percentage does not capture his view of discipleship. Let me show you. This is what he says. He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. That's not 10%. That's 50%. 
percent. That's 50. Zacchaeus stood and said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Half. That's not 10 percent. That's 50 percent. Jesus said to the rich young man, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's 100 percent. 100 percent. Therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's 100%. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's all in. Jesus is going, you've got to be all in if you want to follow me. All who believed were together and they had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods, and they distributed them all to any who had need. Again, all in. There was not a needy person. Can you imagine that? There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them. They sold their property. They sold their houses. How radical is that? And they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's Paul talking about a church who has nothing. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, in their extreme poverty, this church had nothing. Overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. For they gave according to their means, and they gave beyond their means. See, to me... The issue is not how much do I give, but how much do I dare keep. The financial issue in this church today is not tithing. It's the exorbitant lifestyle we lead. And again, it's not a financial issue, it's a spiritual one. And my question is not what can I afford to tithe, but can I justify, can I justify a lifestyle that consumes 90% of my income? Can I justify that when I stand before God? And behind that question is the question, do I love to use God's money to spread justice and mercy and spiritual hope to the world? Or do I prefer to use his money to purchase more and more personal comforts? So here's my last challenge to you, and I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up. I would like for you to, maybe for the first time in your life, I would like for you to look inward. Look inside your heart. What is the condition of your heart? Ask God. Truly ask Him. Are you being true to Him? Does He have your whole heart? Does He have all of it? And I mean with your money and your finances included. Are you listening to His Holy Spirit? Have you been a good steward with the immense wealth that has been given to you? And are you being obedient and giving back to Him? Are you still wearing that financial mask, still trusting in material things, afraid to give Him control? Drop the mask today. Trust in God and be all in. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for just how amazing your love is for us, God, and how much you have truly blessed us. Father, but most of all, thank you for that incalculable gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to die for us. God, 
you gave everything for us. You gave everything for us, God. Why are our hearts so hard to you? Why is it so hard for us to give back? When you gave up everything, a cost we can't even measure, Lord, break our hearts, melt our hearts, pierce our hearts when it comes to this, God. Take that obstruction of money and material things and remove it from us so that we can have the relationship you desire to have with us and that we can truly be happy and truly have significance and truly have security in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.